Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. The godly people in the land are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Troubles will multiply for those who chase after other gods. I won't take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. My soul rejoices and my body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 16. It's been a really precious psalm to me for, for about 14 years now. I, um, I grew up in Auckland, forgive me, uh, but I was a, a football player and I was part of uh, my local club's under-19s team and we'd gone to the national tournament in Napier and the further along we went in the tournament uh, the more I found my anxiety increasing it's the pressure of competition the pressure to perform uh, it just really began to eat at me and I just felt this besetting worry and uh, I remember between one of the games I ran back to my bunk room and uh, I did what I generally discourage other people from doing and I picked up my bible and I flicked through it at random just looking for some hope just looking for something to make me feel better. And I came to Psalm 16 and I just, and I read it and those first lines, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And then I read further and said, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I won't be shaken. And I just remember, ah, it was just peace. The peace just flooded my soul, and everything became okay in that moment. God had just ministered to me so powerfully through his word. I had nothing to fear. Yes, it was only football. It's a very trite example, but I was an emotional teenager, so, <laughs> so cut me some slack. But peace flooded my soul, and God ministered to me through his word. In that moment, I knew he was with me. No matter where I was, Auckland, Napier, wherever, God was with me. I could put my trust in him. I could depend on him. And that no matter what happened, whether we won the tournament, whether I played a good game or not, it didn't really matter because I have him. I had him. And for the past 14 years, wherever I've gone, the places I've lived in the world, the things that have come my way, whenever I turn to Psalm 16, wherever I, I read it or call it to mind, it just reorients my heart. It just it, it pulls me back to that true north and goes, ah, yes, this is what's important. This is what matters. And it's him. It's only him. And Psalm 16 is a psalm of trust. 
This is where we come to in our, in our series. We've looked at psalms of praise, psalms of lament, psalms of wisdom, psalms of thanksgiving, and today we're looking at psalms of trust. And yes, as I mentioned, my football example is, is somewhat trite, but, but I was in a position of distress. And we see here in Psalm 16 that, that David is in a position of distress. And he's saying, God, yeah, put, your, put your hedge around me. Put, put a watch over me. Protect me because I'm running to you for protection. I'm running to you for help. I'm, I'm putting my trust and my confidence in you. And a couple of weeks ago, Floyd did such a wonderful job of taking us through Psalms of Lament and, and showing that, that as we see in the Psalms, we're, we're looking at the full expression of human emotion. And there are times in life when things are going to happen and go wrong where the absolutely appropriate response is lament. Absolutely the appropriate response is to cry out to God in pain, to bring your request to God, to bring your complaint to God, to tell him what you need and then put your trust in him. And there are other times when the right response is to go, no matter what, no, I, I'm not going to lose hope in this situation. I don't have time. This is not the time for lament. This is the time for me to say to my soul, turn to God and remind yourself of everything that he is, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, who he is and stir up trust and confidence in who God is. I don't have a three-point message for us today. I have one thing that, that I want to say and that I'll expand on in, in hopefully not too long amount of time. And the point is this, that David puts his trust in God because he has made God his treasure. David puts his trust in God because he has made God his treasure. And so if I was to emotionally paraphrase this psalm, Perhaps I might say, David might be saying this, God, I trust you. God, keep me safe. I love you. You are all I have. There's, there's nothing else I need apart from you. Oh, the people, the, the Christians around me, yes, they are, they are all my delight. I love them because they're reflections of you. God, you give me counsel. You give me wisdom. I can't believe that people would chase after other gods. God, why, why would anyone run after anything but you? You are all that we need. God, with you on my right hand, I'm not going to be overwhelmed. Nothing will overwhelm me. God, you are everything, and I love you. And I thank you, God, that you show me how to live now and that even when I die, even when I die, you will bring me to you and I will have eternal pleasures with you forever. God, I trust you. It's the, the Jerem emotional paraphrase, but you can see from the psalm that David has been captivated by God. David has been captivated by God. God is his supreme delight, his supreme joy, his absolute pleasure. And I wonder if joy isn't something that we would naturally consider to be part of the Christian life. When you think of Christians, do you think of joy? Maybe not. And I think that's a shame. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Matt Swank talked about this, this notion of Christian hedonism. It's a, a phrase coined by John Piper, which says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And if, and if God is our greatest pleasure and our greatest joy, then Christians should be the most pleasure-seeking people on the planet because we should run after Him as our greatest joy 
and pleasure. You know, I just want to read a couple of other uh, scriptures that I think will show how the call to joy and the call to, to pursuing God uh, as our highest pleasure, we, we, we see it over and over in the scriptures. Psalm 63, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. In Habakkuk 3, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Psalm 33, shout for joy in the Lord, you righteous. Psalm 119, an expression of desire. How sweet are your words to my taste. God, they are sweeter than honey. And the Christian life is a life of deep delight, Enjoy and knowing and being known by the Creator. You know, and it's this joy, this trust, this joy that comes from trust that will carry us through whatever comes our way in this life. Because what's the alternative? You know, and David addresses it pretty well in, in Psalm 16, chapter 4, where he says, Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I won't take part in their sacrifices. I'm not even going to speak the names of their gods, David says. Those who run after other gods. You know, it's pretty apt language that David chooses. This idea of running after, of hastening, of, of I, it, it, it's like I need to have it. I must have this. And this idea of exertion and effort and pursuit of something that they need to grasp. Tim Keller, uh, an American pastor, says, if we live for or love anything more than God himself, we are trapped. They become things that we have to have. And so we run after them and we become exhausted. But this leads to increasing suffering because life inevitably takes them from us. Are you exhausted? You're tired? What are you running after at the moment instead of God? What are you running after to satisfy? Perhaps what is on the throne of your heart that isn't him? If there are things that you are chasing that are leaving you more and more empty, that it's, it's time to stop. And it's time to take a moment to reflect and go, who is sitting on the throne of my life? You know, if we were to, to rewrite the opening psalm, the opening line of the psalm, if you were to honestly reflect on what would take the position in the psalm, what would you write? If we were to say, keep me safe, blank, for in you I take refuge, what would you put there? Keep me safe, insurance, for in you I find protection. Keep me safe, wealth. For in you I take refuge. Keep me safe, expression of sexuality. For in you I take refuge. Keep me safe, job status. Keep me safe, health. Keep me safe, my family. Keep me safe, my intellect. Keep me safe, my work ethic. What is it that you would call on? What is it that you would put in there that makes you feel safe? Because I wonder if where you have put your trust is actually where you may have put your treasure where you have put your trust will reveal what actually has the place of treasure 
and our hearts. And, and, and when I come to finish this message, I want to give us some time and space to reflect on that and to create space to go, God, show me. Show me. Point out what is in my heart that is offensive to you and where something may have knocked you off the throne of my life. I, I want us to come back to that in a moment. You know, in all of this, David is also speaking to contentment. Contentment. He says in verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. When he talks about portion, he's talking about real wealth. When he's talking about cup, he's talking about real pleasure. Saying, God, in you I have everything. God, in you I have all that I need. I don't actually, I don't actually need anything else. I'm content with you. And contentment is such a tricky one for us, isn't it? I feel it every day. You know, every, every single day we are bombarded with messages and advertising and algorithms of what we need to be content. This car, that washing machine, these shoes, those pants, this girlfriend, that boyfriend, this holiday, that holiday, and on and on. And then, and then the enemy gets involved and, and hijacks these good things that God has given us and, and says, well, actually, what you need is a different expression of that. If you're married, you need to have an affair. If you're single, you need to get married. If you're poor, you need to be rich. If you're rich, you need to be richer. There is just an endless cycle of comparison and discontentment that we as Christians need to push back against and just say no no I'm not going to get caught up in this cycle of consumerism I'm not going to get caught up in materialism I don't need that thing to make me happy I don't need this to complete me for you singles you don't need a husband or a wife to complete you. God may well have that in store for you. And there is joy and there is pleasure in that. But it's not a need. It's not a need. What we need is God. What we need is a holy contentment in who he is and what he has for us. He is our real wealth. He is our real pleasure. And it reminds me of that song that we sing. You know, I'm not going to sing it, that'll be painful, but the lyrics go, you know, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all the world, just give me Jesus. And it is a beautiful, beautiful song. And every time I sing it, I, I am imploring my heart and my soul to believe it because I I feel like the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when I sing that, I go, I believe it, but, but how do I believe it more? You can take everything from me. Just give me Jesus. And there's part of me that says, yes, absolutely. He's, I know he's all I need, but I want these things too. And, and, and David expresses that. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. But I also say of the holy people, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. So this 
even David experiences this dissonance. He says, God, I know you're all I need, but, but there's some good stuff that you've given us. The family of Christ are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. It's, it's good and it's right to rejoice in the things that God has given us, but it must all be joint, uh, sent back to him in praise. In the New Testament, Paul says, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, let it all be for the glory of God. Let our enjoyment in each other and the family of Christ be for his glory. Let our enjoyment of, of owning a home or not owning a home, of having a car, a holiday, running along the beach with your dog, enjoying a nice coffee or a red wine, let it all be for the glory of God. The French theologian Pascal says, you know, the good desires you have given us, Lord, are to be celebrated, but be their end as you have been their beginning. What he's saying is, is there is so much to enjoy in this world, but it must all be a reflection of his glory and his goodness, showing that our pleasure isn't in material things, but it's in him. And we can show that by the way that we enjoy good things. In another psalm of trust, Asaph writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. David has come to a place of complete trust, of complete dependence, and, and supreme satisfaction in God. Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, this life, this wonderful life, I live for him. And even if I die, even if everything is taken from me, if my life is taken from me, I get him. I die, I'm with him. It's win-win for Paul. It reminds me of a story I heard recently about General William Booth, the man who started the Salvation Army. And towards the end of his life, he began losing his eyesight and his son had to break the news to him and said, Dad, you're going blind. And his dad said, does that mean I'm never going to see your face again, my son? And he said, Dad, yeah, you're, you're going blind. And William Booth paused and then he said, Well, I've done what I could for God and for his people with my eyes. And now I'll do what I can for God without them. That was his response to going blind. God has used my eyes for his glory and now he'll use my blindness for his glory. Everything in our lives Paul lived this out magnificent, magnificently. William Booth, in that moment, expressed it wonderfully. Everything, everything, everything is about him. Our trust, our joy, our pleasure is in God, is in Christ, knowing him and being known by him. And we just see that all through Psalm 16 and all through the other Psalms of trust. Psalms of trust are rooted in the character of, of God, of who he is, of who he says he is, and the fact that when he speaks, things happen. When he says something will happen, it is guaranteed. It will come to pass. He is totally trustworthy. And ultimately, this is where David goes and he puts his hope in God. He says, therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David shifts from the here and now of, of talking about, you know, protect me, talking about portions and cups and boundary lines, and he launches into eternity and says, eternal pleasures with God forever. As one commentator, Reverend Derek Kidner says, you know, the refugee of, of verse one, the person who is fleeing to God for protection, finds themselves an heir and an, with an inheritance beyond all imagining and all exploring. This person has run to God just for safety here and now and ends up at an heir to the inheritance of God with eternal pleasures. What a promise. What a God that we serve. We come to him saying, Lord, Lord, my example of playing football, Lord, I just, I just need some peace. I need some peace so I can go and play a football game. And God says, you can have it. And just so you know, Jerem, you also have eternal life. You're also going to be with me forever and ever and ever. I can give you what you need now. But the storehouses of heaven open for you too. What a God that we serve. What a God who is worthy of all our trust and all our hope. You know, another psalm of trust, Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And further it says, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You know, David has it right. God has made known to us the path of life. He has given us everything that we need to live. He's given us his very self. And this comes to the most full expression in the person of Jesus. And, and, and David alludes to this. In verse 10, it says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. This faithful one is a prophecy of Jesus. And we know this because the apostle Peter quotes Psalm 16 in Acts 2 after Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the disciples. They start speaking in tongues and, and they burst outside and everyone goes, what is going on? These people, are they drunk? And Peter says, we're not drunk. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what he says. He says, David Seeing what was to come, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. Peter quotes Psalm 16 right at Pentecost as a pivotal psalm, pointing to the majesty, the deity of Jesus and saying, it's him. It's all about him, this Jesus who came, God who came in the flesh to show us how precious we are to him. Our desperate situation that there is no way that we could save ourselves. No way that we could be redeemed for our sin and for our brokenness. And so God became flesh and dwelt among us and then went to the cross where we should have gone, died, buried and then ascended, rose again from the dead, and then ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. He has made known to us the path of life, and that path is only found in following Him and making Him our everything and delighting, yes, delighting in the good things that He's given us, but turning everything back to Him in praise 
and worship. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's all we talk about here at the street because it's all about Jesus. Who else would we talk about? And so I come back to that question. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you chasing after other gods that will not satisfy? Are you chasing after other gods that will not satisfy? Let God be your portion. Let Jesus be your cup. Let us be a people who in the way that we live, in the way that we love, show that he is our supreme treasure, our everything, our joy, our delight. In the way that we love each other, the way we use our finances, the way we reach out to our community, the way that we love the hurting and the broken, what would it be for us? What would it look like for us to be a church that people look at and go, oh, the people at the street, they, they are joyful people. And, and there's something about them that says that, that, that says that God is magnificent, that God is everything. There's something different about the people at the street. And may that be the Holy Spirit because we... <laughs> We love him and have made him our joy and our treasure. That's kind of the, that's it. <laughs> that's the one thing I wanted to share in a rather long way, I guess. David made, put his trust in God because he made God his treasure. And so now wherever you're gathering, whether you're in hubs, whether you're at home with your life group, can I encourage you, implore you actually, Take some time, five minutes, 10 minutes, sit with Psalm 16 and let God minister to you and say, God, can I read that and can I mean every word of it? God, show me where I'm chasing after other gods that won't satisfy. God, show me if I can truly say that you are my God and apart from you, I have no good thing. God, show me if I'm just missing out on joy. Spend some time. Reflect, ask God to minister and show you what is really going on in your heart. Let me pray. Father, we worship you and thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your beautiful life-giving word and for this psalm that King David wrote, the psalm of trust, the psalm that is just rooted in your character, rooted in your love and in who you are and of what you've done how faithful you are, how trustworthy you are. God, how you long to, to fill us with your joy and, and give us eternal pleasures. God, please speak now as we spend time reflecting, as we sit with your word and allow your Holy Spirit to minister. God, just please point out in us the idols of the heart, the treasures of the heart that aren't you and help us to deal to them that we, we may be people who honestly and sincerely long for you and your glory in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.